Today's reading is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. It can be found on page 1123 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. <clears throat> like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our God of grace, considering some ancient words this morning, um, we're always traversing the centuries when we do this and remembering that we have um, more similarity and more connection to these ancient people to whom these words were written than we have differences. We have the same th kinds of things going on. We're in the midst of losses. We're in the midst of celebrations, we're in the midst of uh, grieving, we're in the midst of thanksgiving, we're in the midst of um, sometimes feeling quite numb and uncertain, sometimes we feel quite confident and like we have the answers. And in this room we have people from all these kinds of places and many, many more. And as we listen, would you through your power and your Holy Spirit do a particular work to open up our hearts? to receive what you have planned for us. Um, that we as a church, because we do have an identity together in this community of City Life, that we as a church would hear what we need to hear, but that also we as individuals would receive the words we need to receive uh, today from you. Because we sit here more of a mess than we care to admit and yet your response is to bring us love. Your response is to meet the mess and the brokenness with love. And so we are more of a mess than we care to admit, but we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Speak into our hearts and lives in such a way that that grace hooks into us, gains traction, and helps us, helps us to see you and to find hope. In Jesus' name, amen. 
so this this letter written um, this letter was written on Mother's Day uh, two thousand years ago. Just kidding. I just, <laughs> I just thought of that on the spot. Just total joke. I'm sorry. Um, it wasn't written on Mother's Day, but it was. So the letter of First Peter was written to these people who. Um, and, and that video explained it, but they're suffering. They're undergoing a lot of losses, and they're, you know, and they're do a lot of it primarily because of what they believe. And they hadn't believed this stuff before. It wasn't like they, they knew they were going to enter into this. So now they're losing things and, and encountering a lot of trouble in life that they really didn't ask for, and that comes related to this faith that they've signed on for. So that is a bit of a dilemma, right? That's a bit of a, a, a pickle in their lives. And this letter comes to bring something. They need something from this, this letter. Christians throughout this region, it's not just one small church like this, but probably a whole bunch of different cities that have groups like us gathering together around in, in much a similar way. Only they're undergoing a lot of persecution universally for their faith, for what they believe. So they need encouragement, they need some kind of guidance, they need something from this letter. And what this letter gives, what you can see there, it's so present in this video. This is why we keep showing this video, you know, week after week. Because it really just, it's a little experiment we're doing of just, you know, giving you the exact same thing over and over for four weeks now in a row. Is just to just start to embed some of what this, this letter is and the feeling of this letter, what's happening. Start to remember it, start to be able to almost predict that little funny part of the video where where the, the oppressor says, while his feet are getting washed, I wasn't finished oppressing you yet. Um, I like that some people chuckled at that today because that's my favorite part. And so the, the idea that we're, we're, we're soaking in what this letter is and starting to get better and better at understanding what's happening in this letter. And so the, what happens in the letter throughout it is just a barrage of identity metaphors. And in fact, the part that we read um, from chapter 2, verses 2 through 10 today, is there's so many. I mean, it's just it's too many to even wrap your mind around. The metaphors of identity. That's the gift that the writer Peter is giving to these persecuted Christians is to just hammer away at their identity. Who are you? And it, there's so many, and they're so diverse and fun, like newborn babies, uh, chosen by God and precious to him, your living stones, your spiritual house, your um, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You are a people. You once weren't a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, you have received mercy now. So just over and over, and it's too much even for me, it's a good reminder that my job is not to explain everything when there's a passage, but to summarize. Because there's, I would love nothing more than spend three or four hours going through each one of these identity markers. And so I can't really even do any of them in particular because there's so many in this text. So what's the point? The point is if you're a Christian, then there's an identity that's been given to you. That's really it. I mean, that's really the point. If you're a Christian, whatever kind of stuff you're dealing with in life, this will help. There is an identity that's been given to you. In Christian language, maybe you've heard some of this stuff. A Christian says that, and part of the baptism really expresses this, the entrance into the Christian faith. If you're a Christian, you have 
died with Christ. In a sense, so this is, we've died with Christ and we've risen with Christ. We've been buried with Christ and we've risen with Christ. You've been given an identity in your connection to Jesus. It's a, an identity wrapped up in and, in and twisted together with and in inter, interwoven with who Jesus is. You're given an identity <clears throat> that isn't the one that you would produce on your own or start with on your own. And so a Christian believes something really striking. Through God's intervention in our world and in your life, you, you are not who you should have been. So just say to someone next to you, I'm not who I should have been. Just try that out. <clears throat> I'm not who I should have been. You know what, who do we pursue? Who do we pursue? Or what do we pursue for ourselves to be? We pursue all kinds of things. I want to be blank, and we pursue that. I want to be financially stable. I want to be popular. I want to be successful in my field. I want to be gainfully employed. I want to have... I want to be liked on Facebook, right? <laughs> I want to have a streak on Instasnap, a chatogram, whatever. <laughs> I do know what those are. I'm, I'm kidding. I do. I want to be, what do you, we're pursuing all kinds of things. I want to be married. You know, I want to, what is it? I want to be something. And today, we're taught really to create our own identity and to decide how we fill in that blank, right? So someone named Stefani Joanne Angelina Germanata. <laughs> Do you know who this is? Yes. She says, call me Lady Gaga. That's who I am. That's who I will be. Um, a basketball player, my favorite is always the basketball stuff. Um, my, you know, a, a guy named um, Nick Young says, call me Swaggy P. <laughs> Right? And then there's meta world peace, and there's all these, call me, you decide, what do you want to be called? Who do you want to be? This is what I want to be. And God says to you today, and over and over again in your life, I have already remade you. You are enough. I have made you into everything you ever need to be, better than anything you could choose that you want to be. And I've already made you that way. I've already remade you that way through Jesus. So, and I think what speaks to that strongest and what you need to hear today the strongest is once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are, you are somebody. And this isn't new. This isn't like aha in the New Testament, you know, because the Bible has this other half, this longer half at the beginning. It's not brand new in the New Testament. It's, it starts way back in the beginning. There's Abraham already. God comes to Abraham, and he's not interested in God at all. He's, he's a son of, it seems, an idol maker far off in the lands far away from you know, where he's going to end up. And God just kind of plucks him out and says, I will make you into a great nation. Just, I will, here, now you have a new course. I'm going to remake your identity. I will make you into a great nation. And one of, the, one of my favorite uh, identity stories comes from Abraham's, Abraham's um, grandson, Jacob. 
um, just to continue this flow. And I think we need to hear the story of Jacob a little bit. Because Jacob <clears throat> was born a twin. Jacob and, anybody know it? Esau. Esau. And Jacob was born, and this, in, in, in the ancient days they would have said, I'm not kidding. They, that's how they would have prefaced this. This is, I'm totally serious. He was born grabbing his twin brother's heel. And the reason it would have been like, I'm not making this up, is because the phrase heel grabber meant like trickster, like sneaky, greedy trickster. Like you're trying to grab the heels of someone in front of you to pull them down so that you can, you can win. And so that was a, a, like an idiom that they used, like, Oh, yeah, David Lindner, he's a real heel grabber, right? I, I, I can pick on Dave because we know each other so well, and that's really not him. But that's the idea, like, oh, you know that heel grabber. And so, they're, you know, Jacob's mom, Jacob's mom says it's okay to name him Jacob, which means heel grabber. Can you imagine? What a horrible mother. She, no, I'm kidding. But she... But they did, they named, they just said, yeah, okay, well, he was born that way. To quote Lady Gaga. He was born that way. He's a, he's a heel grabber. He's a trickster. And, and then it just kind of played out. Like he, if you know the stories, he, the, that name was fit. He was always trying to get a little angle and get ahead and trick. He had tricks up his sleeve every, every place he went. And yet, is that who he's going to be because he was just born that way? Is that his identity forever? God just enters in. It's kind of unexplained in some ways, but it's this really cool story of how our identity works with God. God enters in. There's a dream, dreamish kind of thing. It happens at night, but God appears before Jacob, and they wrestle, and neither of them kind of wins. It's like a draw, and then at the end, Jacob says, bless me. But in there, God says, I'm gonna re what's your name? Your name is Jacob, but now I'm going to name you Israel, which means struggler. Because you've struggled with God and men and have overcome. New name. You were Jacob, now you're Israel. And that becomes the name of a people. So when we read this today, there's echoes of that. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. The people of God, so this is an old, old thing just being revisited now through Jesus Christ. This is how God operates with us. He names us. He tells us who we are. He enters in. You're not stuck with what you were born with. I was born that way. You're not stuck with how many of us are trying to create our own identity and fill in the blank ourselves and grab heels and make ourselves into something. God will tell you who you are. Your identity has been given to you. Relax. C.S. Lewis says this, because it's not always what you do now, if you know that, and if you are going to relax with that. I mean, there's reasons why we don't easily take on the identity God hands us. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, this was emailed to me this week, and it was perfect timing, because this is a quote. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. 
For what we are trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time to be good. And then he goes on to kind of clarify what he means by that, keeping personal happiness and at the same time be good. We are trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce glass or grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. So then you kind of say, oh, that's why. That's why we need to hear this passage because we as beautiful and as amazing as all of these things are about us that it says are true of you if you're a Christian or if you're thinking about being a Christian, it's like, oh, that's, C.S. Lewis just put words to, oh, that's why it's so hard to let that be true, to live in that, because it, it's like getting plowed up. Have you ever seen a plow? I, I grew up in an agriculture town, and these tractors would pull these things behind them, and they have these pointed metal forks. They had to last a long time because a farmer doesn't want to change them each year. When they hit rocks and different things, they have to be able to sustain it. So they're really sharp and big and strong in there. And there's a whole series of them, dozens of them coming behind a tractor, ripping up the ground almost violently. Need to be plowed up. That is kind of what it, it's, it takes for a new identity to hold and to enter into it. But let me end on a little more hopeful note. <laughs> let me show you why it's possible because if you look at this passage, there's two things that connect to each other. The very beginning, you are like a newborn baby craving pure spiritual milk so that, it may, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And then this line, this line sings to me as a Christian, this line right here. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So why, why would you pursue this plowing up? Because you've tasted how good the one leading the plow is. You know how good, how good it tastes, how good God's grace tastes. Have you tasted it? You might be here today one thinking like, I'm thinking about taking a drink. I've heard it tastes good, and that's okay. Take your time, but explore and seek and know that what you're seeking, what you're asking questions about tastes amazing. And once you taste it, you don't want to drink anything else if you're truly tasting it. So Peter's reminding us of who we are, reminding us of what we've tasted. Just remember what you've tasted and connect it to the end. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've tasted that. You are someone new. Let's pray. Our God of grace, may we taste your goodness over and over again. Um, if someone's here today 
um, thinking like, I don't know if I've ever tasted it. I, I just do the religious stuff and come to church. Or maybe someone saying, I've never even really wanted to be in church until today, and, and by, that sounds really good to taste it. And maybe others sit here and say, I, I tasted it once long ago, and, um, but it's no longer defining me. It's no longer my identity, and I'd love to get back. Whatever the case may be, God, give us a fresh draft, a fresh sip, a fresh gulp of your mercy. Whatever the struggle we face is that, we need, that needs to be reoriented around our identity, let your grace and your mercy and the taste of it define our journey moving forward by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.